0: major component of sustaining a robust diplomatic presence in Kabul is to maintain a functioning and secure airport in Kabul. So we continue to dedicate our security resources to that, to secure the embassy, to secure the international zone, and to secure HKIA, the international airport in Kabul, for our diplomats, our personnel, and our continued support to the government of Afghanistan. The Afghan security forces have the capacity to sufficiently fight and defend their country. And we will continue to support the Afghan security forces where necessary, in accordance with the guidance from the President and the Secretary of Defense. The future of Afghanistan is squarely in the hands of the Afghan people, and there are a range of possible outcomes uh, in Afghanistan. And I want to emphasize repeatedly, and I've said this before, a negative outcome, a Taliban automatic military takeover, is not a foregone conclusion.
1: That was General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just a few weeks ago on July 21st, saying an automatic military takeover of the Taliban is not a foregone conclusion and the Afghanis have the capability of fully defending their country. And for those of you who have been paying attention, Afghanistan has completely fallen and just a few hours ago... The president of Afghanistan has fled the country. Welcome to Wrong Thing Radio, everybody. I'm Aaron, broadcasting from just outside our nation's capital.
2: (laughs) And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and sunny greater Seattle metropolitan area. And we have the privilege of witnessing, right before our very eyes, the complete Taliban takeover And descent into potential warlord-esque barbarity and Mad Max-type wasteland madness of the country of Afghanistan. Yep. Ringside seats. Ringside seats
1: of the basic one-month complete and total collapse. The total unabashed surrender of the Afghan National Army, the Afghan National Police... The yeah. Afghan government fleeing some in private jets, uh, most, most likely with suitcases full of American cash. Certainly. Uh, and this all falls As, squarely on the shoulders of the commander-in-chief.
2: It certainly does. This it, There are, additionally, a large number of U.S. personnel and potential, I would imagine, as well, troops at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. So, And they are currently trapped in Kabul without seemingly an exit. So here's... The reason... Oh,
1: go ahead. Sorry, real quick. Just, just the most up-to-date stuff. About 15 minutes ago, this came in. The embassy staff in Kabul had gone to the airport, according to the State Department. But now, the airport in Kabul is being shelled by the Taliban and there's no report as um, to whether that. or not. Yeah. So it, 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 when we were prepping the show last night, um, Alan, you had basically a statement of, we've seen something like this with an embassy before. And now, unfortunately uh,
2: that may have been more prophetic than you wanted. Yeah. Uh, there is all likelihood That in the next 24 to 48 hours, we could see something akin to, well, worst case scenario, we see Benghazi 2 electric boogaloo. Mm -hmm. Where Taliban forces swarm into Kabul, we are take over the airfield, meaning we are unable to land planes, and just execute all the U.S. persons they can find. Yeah, that there is all likelihood that we witness a complete collapse of Afghanistan, of Kabul, and that becomes a reality. Or we see a desperate attempt to get embassy personnel off the roof of the embassy in a Chinook helicopter, just like the fall of Saigon.
1: Uh, so that's already been shared. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but if you go onto social yeah. media, you will very happily see literally a side by side you can see a side by side photo of a chinook helicopter outside the uh uh embassy in uh, Kabul as well as the uh embassy in Saigon so uh this is a, the American Saigon in many ways but also in many ways it is not uh yeah. it it the juxtaposition doesn't matter and i don't like <sighs> who gives a shit like <laughs> I don't care if it's, oh, my God, it's just like Vietnam. Okay. Awesome. There's a couple of things I uh, before Alan gets into his real good analysis on this. There's a couple of things that, that I, I, I just want to kind of get out there uh, to sort of paint the picture. For those of you who might be new to the show and are un, unaware, um, Alan and I both served in Afghanistan. We're very familiar with the country. We're very familiar with the people. We're very familiar with the history. Uh, we've been there. Uh, We fought there. Uh, We have a pretty in-depth understanding. And regularly on this show, we have continually pointed at the foreign policy failures of the Washington establishment continually throughout both the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're veterans of the war in Afghanistan. We're veterans of the global war on terror. We understand it. We were intelligence personnel. So just to give everyone an idea, we know this Exceedingly well, far better than any of the armchair quarterbacks on television, far better, it would seem, than the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Because I could have told him that Afghanistan would fall in a matter of months, if not days, once you completely withdrew. Now, do not misunderstand me. We did not need to be in Afghanistan anymore. I supported the withdrawal when President Trump was putting it forward. I know for a fact that Trump would have done a better job. I supported the withdrawal because what exactly were we accomplishing being there? Look at what happened. The Afghan army folded in days, which means for the 20 years That we have been in Afghanistan. We failed. We knew this in 2012. When Alan and I were on the ground together. We knew that this was a failed project. And I will give you one succinct reason why. We did not give the Afghan military any reason to fight. And that is proven In this last week, they had no reason to fight. They didn't care. The reason why we didn't give them a reason to fight is because instead of listening to the soldiers on the ground, the people who talked to these soldiers who lived with these soldiers as we did. They listened to a bunch of assholes from Georgetown and from Harvard who said, Well, according to my book, if we build a bunch of universities with a bunch of liberal education classes, they'll just magically become a democracy and will shed off thousands of years of tradition of tribal warfare. Yeah. And to the point that all the like little never Trumpers and the neocons and some Democrats now are all saying, I have no idea what the hell anyone's talking about when they say, what about the women's rights? There were no women's rights when I was in Afghanistan in 2012. There were no women's rights when I was in Afghanistan in 2015. I don't know what the hell anyone is talking about. Women wore burkas or got beaten. Women walked behind men or got beaten. Women didn't talk to U.S. soldiers because they would get beaten. What women's rights are, what, what are these women's rights all of these idiots are talking Oh, the, What about all the women's rights that are suddenly going to get trampled? They didn't have any rights. They Let me tell you exactly yeah. what's happening here. These women's rights that everybody's talking about. It was a small area of the aristocracy in Kabul it was a small aristocracy in kabul that went to college but when we were in kandahar there were no women rights women's rights when we were in argandab there were no women's rights when we were in shahwali kot there were no women's rights it didn't exist it's a fallacy that was built by liars in the state department by liars in the defense contract industry by liars on k street it yeah. never existed. There was no freedom in Afghanistan. There were no women's rights in Afghanistan. There was no great democracy in Afghanistan. It was a giant corrupt government. And all of those things were lies made up by people who wanted to keep us there so they could keep making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Okay, Alan, you you can take it now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so there's three big things to list to. I think three things to think about when looking at the total collapse of the Afghan government and its fall back into tribal warlordism. First is the nature of Afghanistan, and that cannot be disregarded. Afghanistan is a near-feudal tribal society. It is ruled by tribal elders in a feudal fashion, as in, it's not like this liberal democracy. It never was. An Afghan general is more akin to a warlord than just some servant of the people. The local governor in Afghanistan is not just some like elect, elected civil servant. He's functionally a king. He views himself like he's a small king. All the people under him in that district view him like he's a king. This is the standard of Afghan society. So it is. It is it. And so I guess. When we're seeing things collapse, what we're seeing is simply a return back to the natural state of Afghan civilization, of Afghan society, which is different tribal groups, different warlords, all vying for power in an uneasy coexistence with each other in a feudal state. And everyone knows that. Everyone should have known that. There are de- book, entire books written on this. All the history of Afghanistan shows that. And that is exactly what's happening. One of the lead figures in the Afghan uh, National Army, uh, a general, I believe it's General Dost, is basically a warlord. He was a warlord that fought the Soviets. Then he was, became a general of the Afghan Ar- National Army. And now he's a warlord again, taking his troops up north, potentially to recapture Mazi Sharif. And he's not really doing this for the Afghan government. He's doing it for himself. He has a palace. These like the Afghan governors, all these people operate in this barbaric warlord type mentality. And I'm I'm not even necessarily criticizing that because that's just how they are. So what we're just all we're seeing is we're ripping off the neoliberal Western veneer we were trying to like paste over Afghanistan and its fundamental nature is simply reasserting itself. When we talk about the Taliban, what, we're re- what, what journalists are not telling you is that the Taliban doesn't exist as a single monolithic entity. The current Taliban is really more of these are a bunch of Pashtun groups or tribal groups that don't like the Afghan government and are currently switching sides from supporting the regime to actively trying to destroy it. In in order so that they can secure more wealth and power for themselves in the intertribal conflict that has been that is always simmering in Afghanistan. When we talk about oh the Afghan army units all surrendered, most of the time that's not necessarily true. Many of them have surrendered, but a lot of them have wholesale swept, sw- switched sides. A lot of them have said, well, why am I'm not going to fight for this Afghan government. I'm throwing in my lot with the Taliban. As a regional governor, you would do that. So what we're seeing is just the civil society of Afghanistan crumble back into the normal tribal atmosphere, which it has always fostered very deeply. And so that's the nature of Afghanistan. That is very responsible for what we're seeing. The other part is the U.S. efforts over the last 20 years have been this absolutely ludicrous, liberal nonsense of nation-building and touchy-feely garbage that was never going to work and has been criticized the entire time. And people have been bringing this up. The canaries in the coal mine have been singing at least for the last decade and a half about how our activities in Afghanistan are doomed to failure. And no one in the entire American government and military establishment from President Bush through President Obama through Trump even up to today has ever seriously grappled with Afghanistan in a way that would try and deliver the American people any sort of victory. Bush didn't do it. Obama didn't do it. Trump didn't do it. Biden has completely failed at it. And so that's something to remember, too. This isn't just the failure of one of the Biden administration. This is a complete failure of the entire U.S. establishment from every officer in the military that has ever been in charge of Afghanistan, who has been blowing smoke up the ass of every politician and taxpayer on Whoa! Oh, the Afghan government is so good, or the Afghan National Army, our efforts are building this strong Afghan military. All of that has been a lie, and they all know it's been a lie. So the, milit- the upper military brass has known what they're doing for at least the last 10 years is com- was completely ephemeral and would evaporate in an instant and, were- and have been lying to themselves and to us about what they're actually doing. Same with politicians. Over the last 20 years, we've had – I mean how many congressmen, senators, presidents have never demanded a victory condition in Afghanistan, have never paid attention to the huge number of voices, research, and information saying that this is a – doomed to failure on its current course? None. We have never changed course in Afghanistan in a way – it's like the – The criticisms of the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan for the over for the last 15 years have been exactly the same. And we have never no administration, no new military commander. No one has ever actually grappled with it in a way that would deliver any form of victory. So it is an incredible failure of the entire U.S. political, military and intelligence establishment. The emperor wears no clothes. They're all completely to blame for this. And lastly, we get to today. Those two things, the nature of Afghanistan and the failure of the establishment over the last 20 years, set the stage for the Biden administration to then pick the absolute worst way to deal with that situation that they almost possibly could have. The Afghan Afghanistan has what is called a fighting season. Generally, this starts at the end, mid to end to April. So mid-April through the, to the fall. It is the summer fighting season. This has been going on the entire time the United States has been in Afghanistan. We set our watches by it. Every Afghan, every military officer in Afghanistan knows, all oh, that the fighting season's coming up. Or it's not the fighting season currently. We know when the fighting season is. The original Trump plan was to have everybody out of the country by May 1st, which is pretty much the very beginning of the fighting season, because the fighting season is when everything launches off. It is when all the intertribal fighting happens. It is when all the fighting against Americans happens. And it's going to be this has been the state of Afghanistan. They fought each other during the summer. Then they fought America during the summer, and now they're going to go back to fighting each other during the summer. We know this. Instead of w- of waiting until the fighting season was over or before the fighting season had begun, the Biden administration chose to try and do the pullout of American troops in the middle of the Afghan fighting season when the Taliban is when the Taliban and all these tribal groups, their blood's up, they're the most active, and they, and again, it's right in the middle. They have had months of victories and success, and they are excited and feel on top of the world, and then you decide, like, now's the time we're going to go. That's absolutely unforgivable. Someone should have known better. The, the biggest blunder that I see coming from this was the decision to abandon Bagram Airfield, the biggest military base in Afghanistan, and the entry point for a vast quantity of supplies and equipment. It had a huge runway, it had all the necessary support infrastructure to be an almost impenetrable base. It's where we were flying close air support out of, it's where we were, it was an entry and exit point for huge cargo planes. And if you remember, in July, at the beginning of July the U.S. military abandoned Bagram Airfield. We abandoned the major military base and entry and, ex- and most secure entry and exit point for any and all material into and out of theater before we closed the embassy, before we pulled out all of our troops, before we pulled out all of our people. That is a unbelievable military blunder. And the problem that we're looking at now is it is the middle of the fighting season, the Taliban and all these tribal groups have had months of successes and are riding this wave of enthusiasm, and we do not have control of any major airbase with which to put more troops into country or pull troops out. They are trapped in the middle of Kabul with the civilian-controlled Kabul airport as the only major point with which to pull them out of country or get more troops in this is an, it places the embassy and every, every other American there in an incredible degree of danger because they now could, could be cut off and annihilated this is a military disaster, a blunder of the highest order and it would have taken, if you had just talked to me I would have told you Uh, You should just probably fortify Bagram Air Force Base, pull all the people back to there and wait out the fighting season because you know what the United States military doesn't have? A fighting season. We have the best cold weather gear of any army in history. We can fight in the middle of winter. We can fight in the rain. We can fight at night. You know what we don't need to do? Fight in the middle of the day in the summer When the enemy is at their strongest, I would have said uh, either pull everybody out before or pull everybody out after. You can just sit inside the walls of Bagram and they can't touch you. You could resupply everybody with giant cargo planes. You can run A-10 warthogs and Apache gunships from the numerous flight lines and helipads and you would be invincible. Hell, the Taliban probably wouldn't even try to approach Bagram Airfield. They just wait for you to leave. But now they have an opportunity. Biden administration has, through its blunders, given the Taliban an opportunity to massively embarrass and cause a huge military disaster for the United States. And the Biden administration, even when you take into account the failures of the last 20 years, has made the situation that much worse. The Afghan government was always going to fall because for the last 20 years we've done nothing to ensure that it could stand. And now the Biden administration is almost tr- – it seems like they were trying to make sure that the Afghan government falls and the United States suffers a humiliating defeat and disaster at the hands of the Taliban. What a perfect cap for the Afghan war. And I can't imagine it going any differently. Yesterday – House Speaker
1: Nancy Pelosi put out a statement that started with, quote, The president is to be commended for the clarity of purpose of his statement on Afghanistan and the actions he has taken. Fifteen minutes ago, the Taliban has seized the presidential palace and has declared the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan.
2: Wow. Wow. I mean, it—it's happening in real time, in front of her eyes, in just days. Re- just read that sentence again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, U.S. <laughs> the U.S. embassy still yeah. has not been evacuated. It has,
1: it has, it has. They, they, has? they, they yes. So the are, um, are
3: they
2: all are they out of country and safe? Do we
1: know? Uh, no, no, no. What we know, what we know, is the U.S. ambassador left the. So this was this was at eleven twenty one this morning. The U.S. Uh, U.S. ambassador left the embassy in Kabul, and he and the flag were at the airport. But there are also reports
2: that the airport was being shelled. Guess what you can't do? Land or take off an airplane when the runways being shelled. Yeah. But
1: so so Nancy Pelosi's statement, quote, the president from yesterday, from yesterday. Quote, the president is to be commended for the clarity of purpose of his statement on Afghanistan and the actions he has taken. Just before we went live or well uh, just before we were supposed to go live at noon. We the, it was reported that the Afghan president had fled the country. Now, 15 minutes ago, according to Epic Times, the Taliban has seized the presidential palace and is soon to declare the Islamic
2: Emirate of Afghanistan. Uh, amazing! In a matter of days, we have seen a complete. Re- okay, last month, Joe Biden in a press conference said in no uncertain terms the president of the united states said in absolute certainty the afghan government will not fall they are stronger than ever there will be no resurgent taliban i'm glad i'm glad
1: you brought that up let me let me let me play real quick this is this is an actual clip uh it's a statement from uh joe biden Uh, This clip is going to have a statement from Joe Biden. And then you're going to hear the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on CNN this morning. So about four hours ago or more. Now, I I want you to understand we just reported 15 minutes ago the presidential palace has been taken and they have declared the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. So Kabul has fallen. I don't know how much. Yeah. I, I don't know how much more you can say than then it is wow. Kabul has, has, has fallen, but real quick, let me, um, there's, there's, sorry, there's a really good clip. Real, uh, I'm trying to grab a, a better one that has, uh, the full statement, um, yeah, from, from Biden, uh, in it because the, the one that I had didn't, um, Oh, that's amazing. But here we go. Here we go. This is, this is, this is, okay. uh, Joe Biden, um, In July. And and the discussions the following discussion with uh, Anthony Blinken. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state
4: of our union is watching a tragic foreign policy disaster unfold before our eyes. Weeks before the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the deadline for President Biden's complete withdrawal of U.S. service members. The Taliban are laying waste to all the gains in that country, having seized much of Afghanistan. The Taliban are now at the gates of the capital city of Kabul. The representatives are meeting with leadership inside the Afghan presidential palace. The rapid crumbling of the country has caught the Biden White House flat-footed. On Saturday, after pulling out almost all of the 2,500 service members there when he took office, President Biden said he would deploy more than... More U.S. troops, 5,000 now total, for the limited mission of getting Americans and others fleeing safely out of Kabul. Warning of a, quote, swift and strong U.S. response if the Taliban interfere. And with the constant thrum of helicopters overhead, sources tell CNN this morning that a total evacuation of Americans from our embassy in Kabul is well underway and should be completed by Tuesday. That is, of course, a sharp turnaround from six okay, weeks ago so when President Biden... That's, that's
1: the report that CNN gave this morning. Now, here's them with Tony Blinken um, trying to get his response to this.
4: In what a lot of experts believe, uh, and you can disagree with this if you want, is that uh, having U.S. air support, having U.S. intelligence there to help the Afghan troops on the ground is what stiffens their spine, enables them uh, to do what they do. And that's part of the larger issue about whether or not the U.S. should have left behind any sort of residual force. But but beyond that is, again, the question of how poorly this was done. The idea that President Biden ordered 2,500 service members out and now is sending up to 5,000 service members back in, does that not on its face show that the ex- that the exit was ineptly planned? And again, look, you told me a few months ago on this program that you thought it was entirely likely that the Taliban would be taking over the country. But President Biden, just last month, quote, the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely.
3: He was wrong. Jake, what we've done, what the president has done, is make sure that we were able to adjust to anything happening on the ground. Uh, and the fact that, we, that he sent additional forces in, we had those forces at the ready, fully prepared to go in the event uh, that this moved in a direction where we needed forces in place to ensure that our personnel was safe and secure, uh, to ensure also that we could do everything possible to bring out of Afghanistan those Afghans most at risk. That's exactly what we're doing. Why didn't you uh, have the
4: troops in there and then let that happen first before taking them out?
3: Again, I come back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is that that status quo I'd, was not sustainable. Uh, like it or not, uh, there was an agreement that the forces would come out on May 1st. Had they not, Had we not begun that process, which is what the president did, Uh, and the Taliban saw, then we would have been back at war with the Taliban. And we would have been back uh, at war uh, with tens of thousands of troops having to go in because the 2,500 troops we had there and the air power would not have sufficed to deal with the situation, especially as we see, uh, alas, the hollowness of the, uh, the Afghan security forces. And, by the way, from the perspective of our strategic competitors around the world, there's nothing they would like more than to see us in Afghanistan for another 5, 10, 20 years. It's simply not in the national interest.
4: You keep changing the the subject to whether or not we should be there forever, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether or not this exit was done properly, uh, taking out all the service members before those Americans and those uh, Afghan translators could get out. That's what I'm talking about. And then you have to send people back in. That shows, that's a definition of, oh, we shouldn't have taken those troops out because now we have to send twice as many back
3: in. Look. I think it shows that uh, we were prepared. The president was prepared for every contingency as this moved forward. Uh, we had those forces on hand, uh, and they were able to deploy very quickly. Again, to...
1: there's something to be said here <clears throat> in the idea that Jake Tapper, who is a cheerleader for the Democrat Party, mm-hmm. is even he's getting infuriated with the responses he's hearing. So, so just just the the, the, the quick recap here is. Consistently, Jake Tapper is saying, why the hell did you pull troops out before pulling embassy personnel, before pulling everything that Alan was saying, as you heard here, why the hell did you pull them out? And the first thing that he does is he plays the blame game. So the secretary of state, you know, for, for the, you know, the secretary of state for the president, who is the commander in chief of the U.S. armed forces. And has been the commander in chief for eight months now says, well, there was a deadline of May 1st and we had to stick to it. Okay, Uh, otherwise we would have been at understand this. Otherwise, if we didn't stick to it, we would have been back at war with the Taliban. Well, that is in his own response. That is inherently untrue. Because if that's true, if it was we had to pull all of those people out or else we would be back at war with the Taliban, you're sending 5,000 troops in because you screwed up the exit so bad. How is that not a declaration of war against the Taliban if I'm supposed to believe the logic? We had to pull the 2,400 troops we had in there or else it would have been considered an act of war. But sending 5,000 troops in now isn't that doesn't make any sense. And as Jake as Jake Tapper said there, the president of the United States, the commander in chief of the US armed forces said that there's little to no possibility that that one month ago said that there's little to no possibility that there would be a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan.
2: And here we are.
1: In less and, than uh, a month from that statement.
2: Yeah. So, another thing that if we're talking about any sort of declaration of war, uh, this is according to uh, the UK Defense Journal American B 52H bombers are understood to be conducting airstrikes on a- on the largest Afghan air bases currently in order to destroy aircraft based there. Uh, this is as of basically yesterday, this was, yeah, August 14th. On August 14th, this broke, that the United States has has mustered a bunch of B-52 bombers to obliterate the Afghan Air Force, which is currently on the ground and falling into Taliban hands. Yeah. Like, you don't engage in something like that unless this is a military disaster of the highest order.
1: No, I mean, it's
2: what's upset? I mean uh, sorry you might you'll get this and maybe some of our viewer listeners uh, won't necessarily understand the full impact of it i just was looking at images most recently from kabul of this evacuation and what people are saying is that if there are military helicopters currently ferry, ferrying people out of the airport at Again, it's not just Americans, it's Americans, Canadians, British, every other country that had all the, it was a, remember, it was a international effort to fight the war in Afghanistan. A lot of countries had a lot of personnel there, and they're all now trying to get out of the country. But one thing I noticed was when they say military helicopters, the picture that it showed of Kabul with one of these things flying into the airport, it was one of the private Chinooks that was being used to ferry troops and stuff around the military bases which so there were companies that were just like five dudes and a couple helicopters that got started up during the afghan war to private to run a small private air uh, fleet of transport helicopters that would basically just do a circuit around u.s bases to just move troops and stuff around on routine movements that way you're that way you're not using military aircraft to do it and they just sort of ran this circuit which means now all of those guys are getting essentially pressed into service to help evacuate U.S. personnel out of the embassies and out of Kabul, which I find just relatively funny. Like, I'm sure one of the things – well, tell a quick war story because I think it's funny and it hopefully relates. One of the things that I saw in Afghanistan that I thoroughly enjoyed was an old Russian transport helicopter being used as a contract – on contract with U.S. forces – to ferry troops and equipment around to various bases. But it was an old Russian transport helicopter flown by two old Russian guys. Like when they opened the rear hatch doors to unload stuff, the guy had a big chunk of like two by four that he would jam into the door frame because the door mechanism would like the door mechanism got was stuck. And I just remember thinking, this is so Afghanistan that these dudes might have just stayed after the Soviets left and kept flying their helicopter around, and I would almost wonder are those guys still there currently, like taking swigs off a bottle of vodka and like yelling at a bunch of journalists and embassy personnel to get in the get in the chopper.
1: I remember, I, hope so. I remember watching that land and they they propped the door open and then they had to prop the tail up with a uh, board. Yeah, and. Yeah. I remember our squad leader coming up to us and going, "Hey, that guy is absolutely drunk." Yeah. The pilot was <laughs> blitzed out of his mind and just hilariously drunk Russian. It was yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it you couldn't you couldn't write a situation that good for a movie. <laughs> oh yeah. But the it it Ultimately, it comes down to this. I've seen a lot of people trying trying to be nice, and and I, I I understand it. And it's the whole like, hey, to everybody who fought in Afghanistan, it's not your fault. It's not your fault.
2: Sure. Yeah, we know, <laughs> but but yeah, but but I, I know this is. I came home from Afghanistan in 2013, very disillusioned about the entire war because I looked around and saw how much waste there was, how unserious things were being being run the lack of focus on actually fighting war. we in 20 this is in 2013 we had to argue i remember getting in arguments with officers about we need to take out all of these taliban leadership now in the winter so that they don't so that their insurgency in our district is in shambles by the time the fighting season starts. And they looked at me with glassed over expression and said, but it's not the fighting season. Why would we do missions when it's not the fighting season? And I remember thinking, but it doesn't matter. The point is we disrupt them before. Th-. This was the standard with which the U.S. military was operating in Afghanistan in 2012 and 2013. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's it was abs. It's absolutely no surprise to me that this is how Afghanistan is turning out, and it is no surprise to anyone that's actually been paying attention. But but amazingly, it is a surprise to the Biden administration. It's a surprise to the military brass. It's surprised to have these embassy personnel. It just goes to show how the disconnect between the reality on the ground and this neoliberal establishment that was running things for hearts and minds. Another great example that Aaron, you touched on earlier was all of this emphasis on we're opening girls schools and we're, you know, America's there because the Taliban was so bad to women and with freedom and democracy and those were only ever talking points. There were only ever things that people in D.C. or at the Pentagon could pat themselves on the back over. But the reality on the ground was that the situation for women, the situation for the LBGT community, the situation for minorities, the situation for the average Afghan barely changed when the United States had been there for over a decade. Women, every woman I saw was still wearing a full burqa. They Like, I'm sure they were still getting beaten. I'm sure that there was still rampant sexual abuse of young children. All of the great and glorious things that people are saying we needed to be there for. Well, if we leave Afghanistan, what about the fate of the poor women? Our being there was not helping them already, and there's nothing to say that us leaving was going to make things better or worse. Mm -hmm. In fact, I feel more... um, I feel more optimistic about Afghanistan now than I used to. All the t- these, the Taliban and all these groups are going to take take over. It's going to be a Mad Max warlord on warlord death match with in with now with what is now got to be one of the most heavily armed citizenries on the planet. <laughs> and that's going to be an amazing thing to see. I bet it's going to be really intense and crazy there for the next maybe five years until things settle out or. But honestly, that's better than the continued stagnation and complete and corruption of the Afghan government, because that is something that cannot be ignored. The Afghan government was ineffective. It was stagnant. It was thoroughly corrupt and absolutely unfit for purpose. The the Afghan army was the Afghan government was all of it was rotten to the core. And the United States was propping it up like a weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) And then when the United States left, the rotting hulk of the Afghan government and military just fell over and in and boom, it just collapsed. That's exactly what we saw. It was it just collapsed. All the Afghan army guys went, yeah, I don't care about this government. I'm just going home. This government's run by a bunch of corrupt idiots. Mm -hmm. Every Afghan army commander was like, I'm just going to be my own warlord. I have a giant warehouse full of guns. Every Taliban guy was like, the the soldiers just went home to their posts. I guess we can go loot that base for every Toyota Hilux and 50 cal we can find. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It's like everything about it proves that for the last 20 years, the people in charge have been lying to us about the true nature of what's going on in Afghanistan and lying to us about the effectiveness of the government, the effectiveness of their military. And it was it the entire time was completely rotten to its core and not worth the United States continued support for all of the And we knew this, we knew it for decades and nobody, nobody dealt with it because it was too messy. And now it is just out there for everyone to see, which, which is good. It is good that this is happening because it, we needed to be exposed to this so that people, so that we could truly see what happens when the American people are this far removed from the, activities of their government, when they're they're this far removed by media pressure, by all these things, nobody in America knew how bad the situation was, and so it's good to see it now. It's good that the credibility of all of these experts, of all of these military officers, of all these politicians, it is good that their credibility is completely blown in a way that is impossible to argue, because they never deserved that credibility to begin with.
1: For... All of the politicians <clears throat> that want to sit there, and you know the, these these neocons like Mitt Romney. Well, a, a, a few things, and then and then we'll get on to the other news of the of the week. But um, the the number one for all of these neocons and you know whatever. That are taught, like 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 I said, the thing that's infuriating me the most is I just think about the poor Afghan women. They were still oppressed the entire time we were there. I cannot stress that enough. That that is entirely a goddamn lie. Nothing we were doing was helping them. Yeah, we weren't. Oh, we built a school. We built a school that nobody would attend because they would get murdered.
2: Yeah. That like it's it's the we were told. U.S. troops on the ground were told, hey, you can't if you see if you see a man beating a woman in the street, don't intervene because that's culturally insensitive. So on one hand, they were telling us the reason we're there is for all these good altruistic humanitarian reasons. But we're also going to be instructing the military not to intervene in those things because the country is so much on the verge of collapse that we can't afford any kind of embarrassment. You could not give water to a woman in a
1: burqa. we we experienced this directly we were on yeah. a mission we were tracking a target we we set up a we set up a roadblock we got our target and there yeah. was a group of women trapped in the roadblock basically they like we we'd stopped all traffic to to grab this target and do do you remember there was like six women in burqa's being carried in in a trailer in the hot sun. And we were told under no circumstances, could we give them water because we were men and it would be risking their lives if they took the water from us.
2: Yeah. Don't approach them. Don't talk to them. Don't interact with them. We had the U S military was doing all of these things to try and be culturally insensitive because, and yeah, yeah, it couldn't be culturally because and we couldn't actually deal with the fact that these liberal values we were supposedly there for, we couldn't actually enforce and make real because that would just cause the insurgency to grow. And it, it was that disconnect between the reality on the ground, which we were enacting, too. The, the reality on the ground, we were enforcing. We knew on the ground. The insurgency is a problem. Hearts and minds is a thing that needs to happen. The And it will only make things worse if we enforce these liberal values. That will make people hate us and it will destroy our chances here. We can't enforce the liberal values that we're supposedly here for. And then the there's the, this huge disconnect between that and then all the politicians and think tank analysts at the top saying, oh, look at the great difference we're making in Afghanistan. We're there to help the women and the people and blah. When the reality was, and then you get to the ground, it's like, so we're actually helping the people here? It's like, oh, God, no. Oh, no, we're not helping the people here at all. That's that's so far down the road. We're barely able to, like, get the Afghan police to have fuel. Like, we're barely able to create a functioning supply system to make sure the Afghan police can gas up their trucks. Because, be, well, hang on. Let, let me Let me cover that real quick. Yeah. It's not that they didn't have plenty of
1: fuel. It's that they Uh-oh. kept selling it. It's that they kept yeah. selling it because the entire government was corrupt. And now understand something. I, I have to note this. All of these people that want to talk about these special immigration visas. Oh, my God. We have to help our Afghan partners. Yeah. I cannot stress to you how corrupt so many of those people are. Do you have any idea how many Afghani interpreters were working for the Taliban? At least a couple uh, understand that not only like you and I both know personally a guy from our unit that got killed. Well, there were like 10 people that got killed in this in, in, in this firefight. One of one of whom was one of our people from our our little intelligence outfit was killed on a mountaintop because the interpreter and the Afghan National Army were instructed by the Taliban to do so. So don't give me this, oh, but what about all of our, what about the special immigration visas for for all of the interpreters and our Afghan partners? Half of those, well, okay, half maybe, a, a, a good amount of those people were working for both sides. It was all a money grab.
2: Well, and at the end of the day, I can't really blame them. Just like all the Afghan army units that are fleeing in the face of the Taliban or switching sides, I can't really blame them either. That's what I'd be doing if I was them. I'd be throwing, I'd be ripping off the Afghan, Afghan National Army patches and mounting up in my Hilux right alongside the Taliban because that's what you would probably need to do to keep your head on your shoulders.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if I,
2: yeah, it's that or die. And again, it's a tribal feudal society. The vast majority of Afghan army guys are going. I'm a Tajik from North Afghanistan and I'm stationed in the south along with my entire unit. Of guys, were entire the way the Afghan army works was you didn't serve in the district with which you were recruited in because they didn't want they were worried about people collaborating with the Taliban. So you had Afghan army units were never from the region they were stationed in. And I guarantee Afghan army units that they say were surrendering in mass were probably just doing things like, well, me and my entire b- battalion of Afghan army unit, I have Afghan army guys, were all Tajiks from the north. Why are we in South Afghanistan? All right, that's it. Let's just, we're just going to leave. We're just going to go home so we can protect our families. Mm-hmm. I don't trust the government can protect them, so we're all going to go home and protect them ourselves. And then, the hell, they might have even been striking deals with the Taliban of Taliban shows up and is like, hey, we're uh, coming into the area. We would like your base. And all the t- Tajiks look at each other and go, we don't really want to be here. Tell you what, give us safe passage out of the area. You can take the base and the entire armory. And the Taliban goes, "Cool, we don't want to have to fight you if we don't have to." And then everybody goes their separate ways. That's all we're seeing. All that's happening in Afghanistan is people are going their separate ways, and local tribal groups with a amount of strength are asserting that strength and taking what they can. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, it 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 was it was not abnormal. It's oh, the chief of police here is a Pashtun. As is yeah. the governor, he is a Pashtun, and over here is a Tajik and a Hazara A um, and A soldier who will never get promoted because they're the wrong tribe, and mm-hmm. they will basically be spit on because the entire governing class here is from uh, this specific like
2: familial line of Pashtuns. Yeah. And additionally, what you're going to see on the news in the next few weeks are going to be things like, oh, the Taliban is committing all these atrocities against these people that collaborate with the regime, which they probably will do. But at the same time, you're going to be told that every single one of those people is just the local innocent chai merchant being murdered by the Taliban for giving tea to American troops. What you're not going to see is the local governor who ruled with an iron fist is being executed in the street because he was acting like a warlord stealing from the people the mm-hmm. palaces of the afghan government were just stealing money from the people and from the us taxpayer to build these gaudy palaces for themselves the government palace in kabul cost 300 million to build mostly because of how well it was appointed the there was a local what was it, the local police chief in the area we were stationed in, murdered people in the street. Yep. It's like we were told, it's like, oh yeah, they went into an area and then he just like gra- dragged guys out of the out of houses and said, I'm the, essentially, I'm the real power in this district. I think this guy's a Taliban and would just execute a guy in the street. Now, granted, that's how he maintained control of his area because it's Afghanistan and that's how you have to be. Mm-hmm. But when we but when you see the Taliban executing collaborators, it's going to be the Taliban going and finding the people that were essentially ruling Afghanistan with an iron fist and taking it back over from them. And honestly, at the end of the day, you go, yeah, that's what I would do if I was the Taliban. This is this shouldn't be anything that surprises us or even necessarily evokes that much negative emotion. The The Afghan government was corrupt and vile and they deserve everything that's coming to them. Yeah, they no, stole I, I, money from the American people. They stole money from the Afghan people. The are Af- a lot of them are probably fleeing the country with suitcases full of cash. They were living like kings. They were using the Afghan police and army to essentially oppress anyone they didn't like, to oppress tribes that they didn't like, to carry out grudges. A lot, and and I, so I can't blame the Taliban for hating them. I can't blame the Afghan army for deserting them. The government we propped up was garbage. And that's on us for that's on us, that's on the American establishment for being derelict in its duty. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the, the the final point that I'm going to make before we, we move on to to our other subjects for the week. Uh, the final point that I'm going to make here is when we went in in 2001. The whole idea here is we were going to do this big hearts and minds campaign, right? We were going to go in there, yeah. and we were we were going to deliver freedom. We were going to free uh, the Afghan people from the yoke of the Taliban, and it was to hey. fight the enemies of the United States because the Taliban was harboring Osama bin Laden and and Al Qaeda. Okay, mm-hmm. fine, but the the concept there and in Iraq was this new, you know, neo con hearts and minds nation building. Concept and the reason why we were doing that was because it was the moral thing to do and about three years ago you and I had a conversation on this program where we talked about how the real way to fight war is imperialism if you're not if you're not willing to I, I believe you're an almost direct quote from that program was you saying that if you're not willing to go in and fight an imperialist war, then it is not worth blood and treasure to go in. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. Is that if you have to go fight a war, then you own the land. It is yours and you are dominant. Uh, If if you can't if you can't check those boxes and feel good about yourself, basically, then you shouldn't do it. Then it's a waste of time. This was in a discussion years ago when we were just talking about foreign policy and how stupid the forever wars are. Well, let 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 me let me point something out now. It is 20 years later. We were told that America uh, America being imperialist was immoral. I want people to understand that that was the exact phrasing that was used by the left. And others is that it would be immoral for us to be imperialist, meaning we go into Afghanistan, we deploy, you know, hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops and we lock that country down. And we basically say this is now under the U.S. government control. You fall under the laws of the you know U.S. military appointed governor. You know, it is, you know, Colonel so-and-so is now the governor. Of, uh, you know, is now the governor of Kandahar, you know, and and general so and so is now the, you know, governor of Helmand province. And you you are going to be under dominant U.S. control and we are going to run your country. The United States of America runs your country under a military, uh, a, a military dictatorship, right? That that's imperialism, correct? Yeah. Now, I want people to think about this. I want somebody to tell me that now that we're looking 20 years later of the hearts and minds supposedly more moral, you tell me that 20 years after us doing an imperialist war where we basically lock the country down and by force do all of the things that we claim we were supposed to be doing in Afghanistan, that... On September 11th, 2021, under the imperialist concept, we probably could have been handing the keys over to an Afghan populace and a generation of Afghanis that actually might have had a chance in hell of having a regular, westernized, updated country, as opposed to the, quote, more moral hearts and mindsets 20 years later, which I'm going to tell you right now is the most immoral and horrific thing you could have ever done after 20 years to a country. We deserve every bit of ire, every bit of anger, and every single ill phrase thrown to us. And the international community is not innocent in this. This is not just the United States. NATO's been there the entire time as well. This is the most shameful and immoral way to have ever approached a country, ever. I don't ever want to hear another person tell me that this was the more moral decision.
2: Yeah. And would it have taken 20 years? No. 20 years of essentially violence and bloodshed to uh, voiced on the Afghan people? I mean, if you had gone in and ruled it like it was a colonial possession and taken ownership of afghanistan i think we would have seen a very very different outcome because we would have owned it we would have owned the ramifications we would know that we couldn't just walk away at any point the Hell, you would have, my dream would have been to go into afghanistan as a colonial possession and say every soldier that fights here you can get a free homestead to establish permanent communities in this area because the United States owns this country and will own it in perpetuity. I think that that's the only way you get that's the only way you get things done is if the, if we had just taken ownership of. But instead, we just said, "Oh well, we're just here." The Afghans own it. We can we'll let them be as corrupt and terrible as they want. Because we don't actually own this. And I think that with anything, like if anything, anything that you don't actually own, you don't care about. And you can let fall to ruin without feeling bad about it. And that's what we did to Afghanistan. And might seem bad and mean and evil and imperialist. But when you take ownership of things, you invest in those things and you feel a need to keep them from degenerating. So it's is, like, is, is, are the British going into India right now and building bridges and roads? No, because they don't own it. So of course they're not. It's the same with everywhere in Africa. The last time a bridge was built anywhere was probably when Europeans ruled it because they owned it. It was theirs. Now, why would they spend money in treasure doing that? We're just kind of there? No, it's, it's very silly.
1: The thing that bothers me and this will be the final the, the, the final point on this. That sounds great <laughs> because of the all the talk that you're going to hear about special immigrant visas and all of our Afghan partners and the translators oh, and the whoever that helped us I, 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 I want to make a note here there are all of these people that we're being told helped us in Afghanistan. That all want to come to the United States. What that tells me is not a single person who was aiding us in the mission in Afghanistan had any intention of living in that country. You're telling me that the promise we gave our Afghan partners is if you work with us, we'll get you the hell out. Yeah, I'm serious. No, that, that's what I'm being told. That's what I'm reading from all the neocons is we made promises. We made promises. Why the hell were we promising to people that if they helped us, we'd get them out? How does that build a better country? How the hell does that build a sustainable Afghanistan? That's shocking to me, because when mm. I deployed to Afghanistan, when you deployed to Afghanistan, our mission was to make that country better. The soldiers on the ground were working every single day to create a better country for the Afghan people. And what I'm hearing about the special immigrant visas and all of our Afghan partners is we were literally the only people who were trying to build a better Afghanistan. Everybody else was looking for a golden parachute. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it would have been far more moral if you had let the U.S. military just run the damn country. Because we apparently were the only people who gave a damn about building a good and sustainable Afghanistan because nobody else gave a shit. The president of the country itself left.
2: Yeah. And they all left immediately. It's. It's an amazing situation and we all knew it was coming and nobody really bothered or cared to change the outcome. Nobody all, in charge cared enough to change things.
1: If all of these politicians really mean it, if all the politicians and the talking heads and everybody else really mean it and say that it's not our fault, the troops on the ground, the people who were there, if you really, really, really want to make sure that you memorialize in some form or fashion that we weren't the ones who lost the war, meaning the military personnel on the ground. If you really want to make sure that that sustains in memoriam, if you really mean all the kind words that you're giving us about how we didn't fight in vain, it's not on us, it's on the suits in Washington, or whatever else you want to say, if you really mean that, Then you need to be demanding resignations from the Pentagon and from the embassies and from the State Department and even, to be honest, from the White House and the National Security Council. If you truly mean it, if you truly mean that it's not our fault... And you want to make sure that history remembers that it's not my fault and it's not Alan's fault and it's not everybody else who fought on the ground there's fault. Then you need to memorialize what happens when you fail by holding those who are at fault accountable. Otherwise, it's just going to be our fault. We are just going to be the losers of the war. It will always fall on the troops unless you hold people accountable. The reason why every Vietnam veteran is kind of silently looked at as somebody who lost a war is because nobody held anybody accountable for the loss of Vietnam. So it falls on the military personnel. So unless you're going to demand resignations of General Milley, and his entire staff unless you're going to hold the state department and their staff accountable unless you're going to hold the national security council accountable and unless you're going to hold the president and commander-in-chief of u.s forces accountable then shut the fuck up because you're not doing anything you're not solving anything and if no one's going to be held accountable then it might as well be my fault because what difference does it make
2: yep there needs to be a reckoning for the massive failures at every level of this conflict and that is absolutely necessary if you're an, if you're an officer who is giving people reports on you know what's the how how is the ana going how is the afghan government going how, any of these things you should just be fired it's like how none of the no one who is an expert on afghanistan should have a job tomorrow because they all were derelict in their duty and were lying to the American people.
1: I played a clip at the opening of this show of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. That man should resign. hmm He said that the Afghan military would be able to hold their own and that there is little to no possibility, if I remember the quote correctly, that the Taliban would take Afghanistan over. That man should resign. Uh, His advisors yeah. should resign. And to be yeah. honest, Biden should be impeached. Yeah.
2: I mean,. Maybe that was the the whole thing about telling the American people that, oh, you know, nothing bad's going to happen in Afghanistan, everybody. Everything's everything's fine on the ground. That deserves a reckoning. All of this deserves a reckoning because of how intensely we were all lied to by the people in charge. Either they were so incompetent that they didn't know and didn't bother to find out or they were absolutely lying and trying to cover their own mistakes. Either way, their legitimacy is is over in terms of foreign policy and especially Afghan policy. They failed us
1: all right let's get but, on to some of the others oh, no, yes
2: go we got go more on. exciting stuff I'm sure we're going to see more of this in the next couple of days. <laughs> Who knows how all this works out and I hope it uh, I hope it signals good things to come for at least Afghanistan, but especially all those poor embassy personnel.
1: And, and you know, I, I, I would be remiss. I, it's funny because I told Alan before we even started broadcasting, I was like, hey, let's not hit the Afghan thing too hard because we're going to be really tempted to. And here we are, you know, an hour and eight <laughs> minutes into the program. <laughs> I, I, I will say this. Um, you know, fr- from people who served in Afghanistan to people who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, we know it's not your fault. Uh, this is hard on people. I don't. I don't think I could tell you. Uh, we do joke about it, Alan, more than me. Um, <laughs> we do joke about it and, and whatever. It, it's not easy to watch videos of places you recognize falling under Taliban control, and it doesn't matter how much we kind of knew it was going to happen. It doesn't make it any easier. And what I, wh- I, I mean it when I say it. If you truly care about the sacrifices made by U.S. service members, by the people who paid the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan, if you truly care about those people, then you need to have accountability. We need to stop the government establishment from being able to completely screw up a war like this and get off scot-free with no absolutely no accountability if you want this to stop and you want the united states government to stop having forever wars that are just you know ripe with failure then you need to hold people accountable and if you don't this is going to happen again and it'll happen again and again and again
3: Mm
1: -hmm. otherwise you're full of shit and you don't care. So stop, stop telling me that you, that you care about U.S. troops. Stop telling me that you care about our sacrifice. Stop telling me that you give a shit about us. If you're not going to hold these leaders accountable and demand resignations and demand accountability, I don't want to hear it. Shut up. You're full of it. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm so tired of hearing people tell me how it's not my fault, but then not trying to actually pin it on the people who deserve it. Yeah. All right. Alan, have you ever identified as a Cuomo sexual?
2: I have not. How's
1: that for? A, Although, how's that uh, for I've a been second? tempted.
2: So he was doing such a good job with that pandemic. There are so
1: many liberals right now who have cups or masks or, you know, whatever, have some sort of accoutrement with Cuomo's face on it. Or it says, I'm a Cuomo sexual that are throwing those things away and are going to forever pretend like they never owned them. How yeah. many coffee tables do you think have a square or a rectangle area on them where liberals would virtue signal by having uh having Andrew Cuomo's book sitting there so their friends could see Andrew Cuomo's leadership book about coronavirus sitting there so they could virtue signal how how like woke they are and now there's there's a a, a rectangle of area that's not dusty because they threw the book away because they're ashamed.
2: Oh no.
1: For those of you who don't get it, Andrew Cuomo resigned as the governor of New York instead of facing an impeachment hearing because his secretary of state confirmed the accusations of 11 women of sexual assault and sexual harassment. I, I, Well, I never. And every single late night host, you literally, you can look it up. There are videos from just a couple months ago, you know, just a few months ago of all these late night hosts gushing about Andrew Cuomo and all of the sudden they all hate him. All of a sudden, oh, I'm so glad he's gone. He was disgusting. He was gross. Or... (laughs) To make it even better, to make it even better, they're acting like they won something. So Andrew Cuomo, by the way, the accusations against Cuomo have been around for like at least a year. It's been at least a year that we've Mm -hmm. known of women accusing him of sexual assault and sexual harassment. But the left just covered it up. They ignored it. They didn't care about it. They didn't talk about it. They kept talking about how he was a hero. In fact, on The View and, and MSNBC, they talked about how he was really the president. While Trump while Trump was in office, he was really the president because he was the actual person leading during coronavirus. And there was actually a worry that he was going to mess up the Democrat, uh, the the Democrat primary. By throwing his hat in the ring, there were people trying to convince him to join the Democrat primary and run for Mm -hmm. president of the United States. But now that it came out that the you know, his attorney general, it came out that it was true. And the Democrats in New York, it was true enough that the Democrats in New York couldn't cover it up anymore and they had to basically accept and go, oh, shit, we have to impeach this guy or it's going to fall on all of us. Well, now all of these people are saying, oh, well, no, he's he was bad and I always knew he was bad. I, I, I was never a fan of him, really. I, I kind of didn't like the guy, which is, of course, hilarious. It's offensive to the point where they pretend like we don't all notice it, that you were hailing him mm-hmm. as a hero yesterday and now you're all saying that, well, oh, no, really, you didn't like him the entire time. But what's even better is the hilarious deflection of the most craven, who instead of addressing that they loved Cuomo, even though, like, I, I can't stress this enough, everybody knew about the accusations and everybody was pretty sure they were true. They were just hoping that they wouldn't get proven and it would get they thro- would get slid under the rug. So for the most craven, those people instead of even talking about the fact that they knowingly supported this guy and now that it's politically un- now that he's politically untenable and nobody cares and the democrats finally said okay fine we can get rid of him mm-hmm. their their whole claim oh first female governor of new york
2: yay
1: let's not talk about how any of it happened let's not talk about how the first female governor of New York came to be. Let's just all celebrate that there's the first female governor of New York, which has got to be a, how do we make this a feminist win? Because it's such a huge feminist loss. (laughs) Yeah. Like how obscene.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: But they want to pretend like we don't notice. They literally are going to pretend like we don't see this. Yeah. All, the entire It's media, amazing. Yeah. The entire media, the entire Democrat establishment loved Andrew Cuomo. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, he was gross. And it's so great that he's gone. Dude, you knew that this was true. Mm hmm. His initial defense was, I'm not a pervert, I'm Italian. (laughs) Uh, Now, understand something. Yes. I actually don't care that much about most of this because, let's be honest, I've seen plenty of times that people are accused of, you know, sexual assault and things like that, and it's absolutely untrue, like Brett Kavanaugh. Right. So... I, I, I tend to just avoid these stories until there's like absolute proof because it's now just a weapon. The accusation itself is the weapon. What is the most obscene is Andrew Cuomo resigned because a politically motivated, I'm not saying that the, I'm not saying the accusations are untrue. I'm just saying that a politically motivated attorney general who wants to run for governor likely confirmed the accusations against him. So, so he can go away just, you know, to put that there just so he can go away. Um, but he is never going to face any accountability, uh, for killing thousands of people in nursing homes. No, he didn't resign because he killed thousands of his own citizens by putting covid patients in nursing homes he resigned yeah. because he grabbed women yep and i'm not saying it's okay to grab women when they you know you know against their will i'm not saying it's okay to sexually assault people i just think that 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 killing thousands of your citizens should actually be the reason why somebody resigns not because he fondled somebody and they didn't like it
2: I I think that's worse. Yeah. I think think that's worse on the grand scheme of things. The killing a bunch of people intentionally in nursing homes to drive up COVID numbers to try and scare the rest of the population is significantly worse than groping a few women in the office. Yeah.
1: But here we are.
2: Yeah. Here we are. The other thing that I'm just a little curious about is why are they throwing him under the bus why now Mm -hmm. no no no. Uh,
1: that's that that has to be talked about because like we said he killed thousands of citizens and like the democrats couldn't bat an eye yeah and it's, it's not like the sexual assault things were unknown So there has to be some other reason.
2: Yeah, I think that they, I think that they did this. They they finally threw him under the bus and made all of the accusations come to light and actually hold him accountable. In quotes, I think they did that as a distraction. I think it was a distraction to keep people from. To keep right, the right wing media focused on it rather than focused on things like this egregious infrastructure bill or, you know, who knows what.
1: Well, and you know, it's a it's a fascinating thing because, well, the yeah, the myriad of distractions. Um, one thing that I do want to point out, and I believe I pointed it out a little bit last week as well, is uh, none of this is actually going to hurt Andrew Cuomo. And I, I want people to understand yeah. that. Andrew Cuomo is going like he made millions on his book because that's how Democrats launder money. So he made millions on his book. He'll likely get some consulting position or, you know, whatever and continue to make millions of dollars. This will be literally the best career decision for him because he can now just take money from people and not have to worry about being held accountable to it. Like when he was governor, which you could not just be given crap loads of money for nothing. He can now just take crap loads of money for nothing. And so this is the best career move for Andrew Cuomo. People want to. and, And this is what bothers me. Is politicians commit a crime. And the worst thing that happens to them is they have to get rid of the title that they carried and then go off to make millions of dollars whereas you or i commit a crime it usually equates to our loss of liberty right i mean joe biden it it could be found that joe biden has been bussing in children to hunter uh you know to keep him sated you know gr- grabbing all the children at the border that he has sleeping in cages right now and sending them up to uh hunter biden's penthouse Uh, where he does whatever it is he's going to do um, and then you know he sends the film to China for billions dollar payments and the worst case scenario is they impeach Biden and he leaves the White House and still makes millions of dollars yeah like that's there is a two tier justice system and it's that it's a hundred percent that Hmm. I just I can't I, don't know. I I I can't stress that enough. I'm so I'm so tired of I'm so tired of the right wing being like, "Oh my God, we got a win." Did you? Like, yeah, I get it. Andrew Cuomo's not the governor anymore. Hooray! But is it a win? Because he's still like, I I don't feel like he lost anything.
2: Yeah, and that's it's like, is he going to jail? Is his life ruined? No, no. But it should be because of his actions during COVID. And that, and that's what makes me suspicious because because everyone knew about what he who he was and what he was doing the whole time and only now suddenly decided to turn on him. at seemingly the drop of a hat almost proves to me that this is, was a decision made from on high for some other purpose than, you know, holding him accountable. There is oh, yeah, something yeah, yeah. It they, proves they that not... there is a greater play going on here.
1: Yeah, they, it, it, it was not them holding him accountable. They don't do that.
2: Yeah, they could have done that at any point and they didn't and they chose not to either. It's suddenly politically expedient, which it doesn't matter. Why would you do it? There's no reason to do it. You could keep he because he was getting away with it. It has to be for something else. And that's the way the Democrat Party and the whole liberal media complex operates is they all operate this way. You can't tell me that people like Trevor Noah, who were too busy not that long ago, just singing Andrew Cuomo's praise and saying I'm a Cuomo sexual and now suddenly reversing course 100 degrees and saying he's I'm so glad he's gone. He's a terrible person. They know what they're doing and they know that we know what they're doing. There's no way they don't look at themselves in the mirror and go, I am absolutely having to lie right now. And I know that my lies are so obvious, but I'm still going to make them because no one can hold me accountable to it.
1: Yeah, like we need to have more pride in ourselves as Americans Mm -hmm. and more self-respect as Americans to where we can, everyone should just be offended by this. Everyone should be offended by how stupid they think you are. Yeah. And the fact that you're not, the fact that you don't hold these people accountable for this kind of lying And just the shameful tactics that they play on you Mm -hmm. is it's disgusting. Like they have no respect for you. And it's our own fault, I guess. Or I mean, it's not our fault. We like we we know that they're liars and we call them out. But it's shocking to me that liberals would allow themselves to be so disrespected by these people. I'm offended on your behalf. I'm offended on the behalf of the audience on behalf of Trevor Noah and Stephen Colbert and and Jimmy Kimmel and all of those because the late night hosts were the most stark ones recently. I'm offended on your behalf that they treat you with so little respect that they act like you like they can just lie to you and change course And pretend like you wouldn't notice and pretend like you, you, like you wouldn't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm offended on your behalf and you deserve better. Mm -hmm. Just flat out. I just, I I don't know a better way to say it. And you should be too. Have some goddamn (laughs) self-respect.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's wild.
1: Yeah. It's just, wow. I mean, but, but it's, it's not shocking. It is not shocking because, because it hits the programming, right? Oh, oh, uh, uh, friend, good, enemy, bad. Okay. Uh, message received friend, good, enemy, bad programming, you know, programming inserted. Yeah. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing with Afghanistan giant cluster. Fuck Biden failed horrifically And we're already seeing it start in the media right now is, oh, well, uh, uh, even though even though Joe Biden was the commander in chief for the last eight months, he botched this horribly. uh, But it's really Trump's fault. And all the liberals will go, oh, friend, good, enemy, bad. Uh, Good message received. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the newest programming for friend, good, enemy, bad. (laughs)
2: yeah it is it is and it's amazing that they expect us to believe it but that's not the only story we have like that this goes on
1: yeah yeah (laughs) this but wait there's more uh (laughs) the senate the senate this week voted 99 to 0 that means every single senator voted to punish any administration that defunds
2: the police. You heard that right. That the Democrats are going to punish any local government that votes to defund their police. Interesting. That might because I remember last summer, the Democrat Party at the federal level couldn't shill for defunding the police any harder.
4: Exactly.
1: Yet here we are. And and it's it's funny because if you guys remember a couple months ago, that was like a big thing. That was uh the, the left did their sudden like 180, which was once again another situation where we sat there and said, oh, my God, like how disrespectful is it for these uh, elected leaders to pretend like we wouldn't notice. But it went from. Democrats at the same time, by the way, people like Cory Bush and the squad talking about defunding the police at the exact same time. And then you had Nancy Pelosi, who talked about defunding the police as well, suddenly come out and go, oh, oh sorry, it was Jen Psaki as well. Say, actually, it was Republicans who want to defund the police because they don't want to vote for me.
2: Yeah. It's complete revisionist history. It's, it's, we've always, what are you talking about? We've always been at war with East Asia. Yeah. It's at the point now
1: where I can't respect Democrat voting Americans if they don't call this out.
2: Yeah. And and I think that it's going to be too much for them to bear. We already saw there was the... Official Black Lives Matter, I believe it's the official Black Lives Matter Twitter account. It is. Was all up in arms saying, Well, hey, hey! Look, we basically we had an agreement.
1: Here's this this is what's really funny. This was from just ten days ago. Just ten days ago. This is Corey Bush defending having private security, but also calling to defund police here's the clip the thing, I won't let them get that off.
0: You can't get that off. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend $10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work.
3: So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets.
1: The thing. I'm going to make sure that I have like, this is real. This is not, this is not a, a uh, th- 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 this, this isn't satire. This isn't a spoof. I'm going to make sure that I have private security because I have had attempts on my life. I know I have. And I don't care if it costs $200,000 or if it costs 10 more dollars. I'm going to make sure that I can be here doing what I need to do but we also need to defund the police that was 10 days ago Amazing. it's okay i mean how insane is that that is a representative a democrat representative saying no i'm going to have private security and it, it and i don't give it i don't give a damn how much it costs but we need to defund the police it this is i don't know what happened i There must be a God because it shouldn't be this easy. Yeah. There must be a God. And he has twisted the ankles because it shouldn't be this easy for me to be able to sit there and say, hey, remember how we always make the joke about rules for thee, but not for me? Here's literally a congr like here's literally a Democrat congresswoman saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to spend taxpayer money on my own private security, but I'm going to take the police away from you Yeah, and defending it and literally defending it. And then, oh, here's all the Democrats who all last summer said that we need to defund the police. The police are racist, by the way, real quick. It's been, we're, we're like eight months into Joe Biden's presidency. Are you telling me that not one racist cop has shot a black man?
2: Uh, amazing, right? Did they that get was... rid of
1: all of the racist cops or did they just stop reporting it?
2: I, mean, I think they just stopped reporting it.
1: Because I was told literally that police departments are full of racists just hunting black people. So I, you couldn't have worked that. If you botched the Afghan you know, if you botched the Afghan uh, 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 exits so bad, I, I can't imagine you could have weeded out all of the racist cops that fast.
2: It's amazing, right?
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> but but apparently they're all gone. They, they just left. It was magic. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, so there's that. But but all of those people who told us that cops were all racist, they want to murder black people. We need to defund the police because they just they're just awful, horrific racists murdering black people. Every single one of them voted saying uh, we don't support the idea of defund the police. And they they act like you didn't notice. They act like they they, they are going to look at you like you're insane for going. How can you do this? This is the opposite of what you said. And they're just going to go. Uh, no, it's not. Or in reality, what they're going to do is go. And what are you going to do about it?
2: Yeah. Well, and. Actually, the thing is no one's even going to – no one's going to get the chance to ask. Mm-hmm. Like what what avenue would anyone have to question these people? The media is not going to do it. So right. if, if the media doesn't do it, well, then it doesn't really matter what people think because no one's going to hold them account. The only way they get held hold, held account is maybe at the ballot box. Maybe. Maybe the Republican Party gets off its, its ass and I don't know primaries these people. is that too much to ask? because I think it'd win I think that I think the Republicans would just win at that. I think they do a really good job Oh my God, but I don't know what's that
1: huh <sighs> Fifteen minutes ago, um, this has been released to by the State Department to anybody in Afghanistan. Quote, U.S. citizens wanting assistance in departing the country should register for any option that might be identified to return to the United States and must complete this repatriation assistance request for each traveler in their group. Spouses and minor children of U.S. citizens in Afghanistan who are awaiting immigrant visas should also complete this form if they wish to depart. Please do so as soon as possible. You must complete this form, even if you have previously submitted your information to the U.S. Embassy in Kabul.
2: Wow. Pfft. Yeah, get out while the getting's good, I guess. No, it, 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 that that's the thing.
1: It This is because the airport took fire and all of that they're basically saying find any possible way to get out but you know make sure you have your forms filled out they 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 literally just signaled to any personnel that are down there figure out like just get out by any means necessary yeah like the <laughs> state department is basically saying take any any way and and that that's the whole thing is U.S. citizens wanting assistance in departing the country should register for any option that might be identified to return to the United States. Take any option. There's no yeah, other way to read get that. get out to the country as fast as possible. There's, yeah, there's no other way to read that other than we can't help you. Not good. That's, I'm sorry, but that's on
2: Biden. Yeah. It's astonishing that you would be this derelict in your duty as military commanders even. It's like you'd think somebody in the military'd go, Oh yeah, okay, we want to leave then? Uh right, listen, that's uh let's not do that. That's a bad idea. Let's um let's hold off on that uh leaving that fast plan. Oh,
1: Sorry, that, that that was the part that we we never brought up that we can also get into is
2: um, Joe Biden's on vacation. Oh, yeah. He's nowhere to be seen. We have the end of the Afghan war in oh, it's like failure and failure and catastrophe. And Joe Biden's nowhere to be seen. There's a Delta, supposedly a COVID Delta variant ravaging the country and he's on vacation. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like there were, what else was going on? You had another thing that you were saying. that They were telling me about the other day.
1: Everything, nothing. I mean, yeah,
2: there's there's
1: a crisis at the border. I mean, oh uh, yeah, Biden's Biden's own. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, one of Biden's own secretaries. Uh, the sorry the the se- words, um, his se- uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Like, is a hundred percent like on tape saying that it's completely unsustainable. like the the situation at the border is completely unsustainable. That audio was leaked this week. Mm. You have the withdrawal from Afghanistan that is absolutely falling apart. You have supposedly the Delta variant happening. All of these things are happening. Joe Biden spent one day in the White House one single day in the White House. He took a long weekend in Delaware. He spent one day in the White House and then he disappeared to Camp David with no press. Bold strategy. Well, this is the thing. Imagery matters in politics, which is really stupid. Don't misunderstand me. I acknowledge that it's dumb. Like, I acknowledge that the way things look is a stupid way to approach stuff. It's one of the reasons why I can't stand the Washington establishment, because they care more about optics than they care about substance. It's how Mm -hmm. things look and how they sound more so than what really happens. But what I do know by making that statement is they care about how things look. They're obsessed with it to the extent of what colors you wear and how you walk and all this other crap. We know this. So the, what this means is these people who are obsessed about optics don't care about how bad it looks that Joe Biden is nowhere to be found while Afghanistan is on fire and while all of these other crises are happening because that's still a better alternative. I, I need people to understand that. This is yeah. a direct acknowledgment by the establishment in Washington that having people be able to share the hashtag where's Joe and giving Republicans the win of being able to say Joe Biden was nowhere to be found while Afghanistan crumbled was viewed as the better option than having him within reach of the press.
2: That's actually a fairly significant point to make. Thank you. Huh. That's wild. I mean, you, I mean, why right. wouldn't he's the president of the United States? He should be front and center right now. He they should be, he should up. be out there assuring me that, Oh, don't worry. We're not going to let everybody in Kabul die. We're organizing a massive military airlift, which I believe we are doing. Last report I saw, there's some total 6,000 troops either in Kabul or on their way to Kabul. I'm sure I'm sure it's probably going to be a could be a very awesome operation to like air to air assault into Kabul, secure the airport, have running gun battles on the streets with Taliban, like barely make it on the last chopper out while close air support nukes the city from orbit. It's like (laughs) I'm sure it it could be pretty awesome to be in that wave of troops, like securing, you know, high value individuals and getting in the like fleeing out of the country. But it never should have come to that. Mm -hmm. It was never, that never needed to be in the cards. And the fact that it is just speaks to how bad everyone at the chain of command is. It's not just Biden. It's all the generals. It's every, everyone on the ground. It's every intel analyst. I could have told you this and I'm just some random guy. Like if you had asked me, hey, we want, if you had picked me up off the street a month ago, and said, hey, uh, random guy off the street, we're putting you in charge of Afghanistan. I would I would probably be flustered. Say, uh, okay, well, the first thing we're going to do is not close Bagram Airfield. We're going to keep that open as a uh, last rally point to get everybody out, and we're going to evacuate the embassy to there, to a strong position, uh, immediately. And then we all just would leave, and it'd be fine, and we would— Last transport would take off and some guy would like throw a flaming bag of dog poop out the back of the C one hundred thirty, like onto the tarmac as the last guy leaves, and that would be it. And this wouldn't make headlines, and we'd just learn about the Taliban, you know, taking up back over the country and burning the poppy fields down like weeks later. But instead everybody in charge went, you know, um I have this report. I have two reports in my desk. I can either read the report about white supremacy or I can read the report about the imminent fall of Afghanistan. Wow, white supremacy report it is. Wow, there's a lot in here. Oh my gosh. Oh, a uh, Pepe the Frog meme. Jeez, this country's fallen to shit.
1: This is really funny because this is Bill Crystal who's currently watching his entire reason for existence crumble before his very eyes he's one of the architects of this whole you know hearts and minds nation building garbage uh tweeted this out about an hour ago but it's dod and state reporters may have reported this though i haven't seen it apparently in interagency calls and meetings state has been arguing that vetted afghans on our protected list should be allowed on dod planes leaving kabul dod is said to be resisting taking afghan civilians um yeah because if I were the Taliban I would 100% I Oh
2: yeah cuz you know what I I know let's just I uh, ask for their ID Yeah 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 no the the failed state doesn't exactly like have a good way to vet people shocking
1: By by the way one one thing I do want to kind of point out uh, to all those people who keep whining, uh, and Alan basically already covered this, but all those people who keep whining about how we shouldn't have just left, we should have stayed. I'm still waiting for any of those people to have presented any strategy in like the last decade that they had. Yeah. All of these whiny bitches are like, oh, oh, oh we shouldn't just leave. Where was your strategy, Senator. Where was your strategy, yeah. congressman? Yeah. I never saw an alternative strategy ever, but yeah. <clears throat> all right. Let's do some quick fun, fun. That's a subjective term. Um, let's do some quick fun news that I want to get out as well. Right and, on? and we'll intersperse the failures of Biden in Afghanistan throughout. Uh, did you see the headline about npr just completely bsing uh, a supposed non-binary warrior
2: um, wait sorry a non-binary warrior
1: oh yeah yeah okay Is that what you so, said yes what yeah all right let me let me let me cover this i don't, this I actually... don't
2: understand any of the words you just said to me so
1: <laughs> so npr posted an article that said an early medieval warrior found buried in finland with feminine clothing, a sword and jewels may have been non-binary. A new no. analysis finds, mm-hmm. suggesting some non-binary people had high status in their community. That's that's not true. So, basically, this is, this comes from Not the Bee, which is fun. Not the Bee is a great site because they're basically letting you know, hey, just so you guys are aware. This is absolutely not satire. This is real. Uh, But basically, researchers have a small sample of DNA from badly damaged remains, and they they believe a buried warrior may have had Kleinfelter syndrome, a chromosomal error that gives a man an extra X chromosome, XXY. Mm Okay. contrary to their woke gender theory, which teaches that there are infinity genders. A person with Kleinfelters is a man with a genetic defect. This does not make them any less human, any less valuable or any less a man. The condition is often accompanied by cognitive issues with reading, learning, behavior and motor development. This comes from the NPR report. The honorable way the warrior was buried led researchers to conclude that the remains were of a respected person whose gender identity may well have been non-binary. Oh, If the characteristics of Klinefelter's syndrome have been evident on the person, they might not have been considered strictly a female or male in er in the early Middle Ages community. The abundant collection of objects buried in the grave is proof that the person was not only accepted, but also valued and respected. The new research indicates that even in a quote, ultra masculine environment of early medieval Scandinavia, where men what? with feminine social roles and who dressed in feminine clothing were disrespected and considered shameful, there may have been individuals who did not fit gender norms and were still admired, the researchers concluded.
2: What? What? <laughs> well, that's a whole lot of nonsense, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, like the the
1: idea here is like ancient humans found bearing wearing buried wearing animal furs a new analysis finds, suggesting furry culture existed and was accepted.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually a good that's a good one.
1: I just but the DNA analysis decades later found chromosomes that didn't match what was expected for males or females the researchers based in finland and germany concluded that the buried person likely had kleinfelter syndrome and was anatomically male okay no i so the long story short on this is npr is just claiming that this person was non-binary. Yeah. That's it. Like, like they're just claiming that this person was non-binary. There's really, and, and their claim on it is, Oh, well it looks like jewels and feminine clothing. I don't know how you come to that realization, but they're, they're making it up. But yeah. NPR put this, put this thing out about like, Oh, we found these, this Scandinavian guy who, who seems to have like these weird feminine traits um, must've been non-binary, which by the way, they do all the time because if if you look back through history, like half of history became gay in the nineties. Yeah. It was just, Oh, new facts arise that every single strong person in history was actually gay. They just made this stuff up. Yeah. Take that conservatives. Exactly. Take take that, Christians,
2: (laughs) which let's be honest, that actually is the motivation.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, I guess that that's the part that doesn't make any sense in the report itself. It literally goes, oh, well, anybody who would have been feminine or gay in, you know, ancient Scandinavian medieval culture would have basically been spit upon. Oh, except for this one person who we're going to claim was a guy dressed as a woman that was buried with high respect. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Which one is it? Were they widely disrespected in the misogyny of Viking culture or were they did not did nobody actually care and this person was buried with respect and was supposedly feminine or whatever or is it that you're making it all up? I'm, yeah. I'm going to lean on you making it all up because you can't yeah. prove, like you can't prove any of what you're claiming. But you're going to act like you can.
2: Right. And, and it's all it's all an attempt by academics to muddy the waters to push their their politics of the week. It's just pushing. It's just that it's nothing. It's more just oh, I'm just going to push my politics of the week because it's popular and I want a pat on the back. Yeah, actually, Julius
1: Caesar was a furry.
2: Like, yeah, actually, did you know that a random guy from history was actually gay? Take that, conservatives. It's like, aren't you supposed to be an academic with, like, credentials that we should take seriously? Well, yeah, but everybody in history was gay. (sighs) Okay. All right, buddy.
1: How how soon how soon are they going to go back to the like favored thing whenever whenever a liberal sees like military gear and it has a Spartan helmet on it and they go, you know, the Spartans molested little boys. Yeah. In about five years, you're going to use that as a defense that pedophilia is okay Yeah. Like five years from now, it's going to be, you know, the the strongest warriors uh, known to man. It was it was okay for them to have sex with children.
2: Like no, you still so, no, you still can't have sex with children. Well, come on. But we found historic references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, everything the left does is all disingenuous for a different. It's all a disingenuous ploy to manipulate something.
1: Take that, conservative. That's, sorry, yeah, that's my favorite reaction. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Hashtag owned.
2: yeah right
1: (laughs) all right what 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 uh, man what else do we have oh yeah so an Illinois private school eh, we got about seven minutes an Illinois private school announced uh, that they were not requiring masks and the state board of education rescinded their accreditation Wow quite the uh, quite the play yeah <laughs> that's how yeah but it's not political right masks aren't political we've been told masks aren't political right. masks
2: aren't political they're they're not political how many times do I have to tell you it's not political it just is a way for me to denote my political allies from my political enemies it's just a, it's a way to determine friend from foe that's all it is
1: now what i will close the program out with is this was a tweet from 2 days ago from occupy democrats because there is some interesting stuff because all of this uh, there's a bit of a conspiracy that I will say that the crumbling of everything going on in Afghanistan, the shocking absence of Joe Biden and the resignation of Andrew Cuomo. All of these things happening are very mm. suspicious because, I, I mean, it, I can't rule out that Joe Biden is completely inept and incapable of everything. Cannot rule Attention. that out, unfortunately. Mm. So I can't solidly say that there's something crazy going on because it's just as possible that Joe Mencha is actually in charge. And that's why things are so terrible right now. Um, But it makes me feel like they're hiding something. And here's a Mm. potential of why all of this is happening because of what they're more afraid of. Now, like I said, tinfoil hat, because I'm not buying into this entirely, but... From Occupy Democrats two days ago, breaking, Colorado State Secretary Jenna Griswold announces that the Mesa County clerk appearing as the big whistleblower and Mike Lindell's cyber symposium will likely be criminally prosecuted for undermining our democracy. What?
2: Yep. So, I did not. Mm-hmm. So wait, is that treason then? Or what, what do we, I thought we had a word for that. Oh, under, yeah. So yeah. So, it's, so it's treason.
1: Uh, uh, that, that should be what they would do. Right.
2: Yeah. <coughs> Undermine. What are you just incredible? Undermining our democracy. It's like, Oh, come on. Well, like, like I, like I
1: said early on, um, early on there's there's the whole problem that we have of these people uh sorry um early on there's there's these people that kept saying undermine democracy and all these other things like you know whether or not sedition or treason or what have you when they say it it's a dog whistle to the democrat party yeah Now, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold said the Mesa County clerk allowed an unauthorized person into a secure facility during an annual upgrade to the county's election equipment software. The security breach means Mesa County will not be able to use the equipment for its fall election and the clerk, Tina Peters, could be in legal trouble. The unauthorized access did not create an imminent direct security risk to Colorado's elections, according to Griswold, But her office's investigation confirmed that the person did release the passwords for the underlying voting machine software online. We know that the information was posted by an extreme conspiracy theorist last week, Griswold said. She had prohibited Mesa County from using the current Dominion voting equipment for the next election. This county can replace it and install new equipment, blah, blah, blah. So what what happened is... It looks like at a uh, let's see. She said her investigators found that someone logged in under the name of Gerald Wood on a list of people who were present for a secure software upgrade uh, update conducted by Dominion employees at the county's election division in late May. Griswold's office did not provide any information about Wood beyond his name and said that they are consulting to investigate who he is, including whether that is actually his name. Griswold said the man's presence violated the rules for several reasons. He's not an employee. You have to be an employee to attend these. You also have have to be background checked. And the county's clerk office specifically misled my office saying that he did comply with the rules. So what I'm interested in here is so this is the information that was gathered was revealed at the cyber symposium that Mike Lindell was hosting in South Dakota. Okay. The county clerk of Colorado is admitting or the secretary of state in Colorado is admitting that somebody was allowed to get unauthorized access to voting machines and they just found out about it.
2: Very interesting. That's the whistle. That's a Surprised
1: that they're admitting to that. Yeah. So this person that this, uh, this county clerk that that's supposedly going to be prosecuted, um, She was a whistleblower because she was showing, obviously, some evidence that there's something. I don't know exactly what she showed because I didn't pay attention to the cyber symposium, but she revealed some some stuff that's going on. But what we have here that's more interesting is an admission by the Colorado Secretary of State, an admission by the Colorado Secretary of State that basically anybody could get access to these voting machines because somebody who is completely unauthorized to do so was able to do so so mm. u- ultimately i would say that's a good thing to know
2: yeah i i want to know that yeah and that's probably and that <laughs> that's probably why they are quote endangering democracy because they're exposing that the system is, in fact, broken and maybe designed to be broken.
1: Right. Now, the quick kind of last thought on this. The reason why I'm saying things about not paying much attention to the cyber symposium and whatever. I don't have anything against Mike Lindell. Don't misunderstand that. But but you do have a thing against symposiums. I cannot stand. No. <laughs> it, it, it comes down to this. I've been told a lot of times that something was going to happen by a lot of different people. You know, TikTok, it's coming. I don't care about any of these election audits until I start actually seeing people going to jail. Otherwise, I just don't care. I don't have it in me to be lied to again, like we have been so many times before, that the FBI spied on a presidential campaign and we know that for a fact and nobody cares. Yeah. We know for a fact that the media has consistently lied to all of us and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact that the Democrats have been corrupt and nothing bad has happened. We know for a fact that Andrew Cuomo has killed people and nobody cares. I don't care. You could find a million smoking guns and I hope you do. But if you're not going to do anything about it, why do I care? I am not going to set myself up to be given false hope that this is the time that you're actually going to do anything about it. Yeah. And that's that's a good point. That's it's not anything against Mike Lindell. It's not anything against the cyber ninjas. It's not anything against all the people that are advocating and pushing for this. It's just the fact that when I've seen so many times evil people doing bad things that absolutely should result in jail time, getting either a slap on the wrist or nothing at all, I just don't have it in me to get excited that this is gonna be the time, guys, the GOP's really gonna hold people to account. I don't believe it, and I don't know why I should. So until that happens, just not gonna get excited about it. I'm not going to sit there and look at things that should be tried and aren't it's just going to make me sad but that's going to have to be it for this week i'm aaron from the east coast i'm alan from the west coast and this is wrong think radio see you all next week